All right, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 13 tonight. We'll see all, how much of that we can really get to, because as you've just heard, as I kind of gave you a little intro there, uh, we're going to get into a lot of deep stuff. And time-wise, we'll see how far we get tonight. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Paul goes on and says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power to me. To me, though, I am very, the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach the, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authority and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now, would anybody like to stand up and explain this to us tonight? Yeah, there's... There's, there's a lot of stuff, but folks, let me tell you, this verse has been something that God has been speaking to me about for a long, long time. Years ago, it hit me that in verse 10, it says that it was God's intent that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the spiritual authorities in the heavenly places. And years ago, God has begun to open my eyes to the fact that His desire is to show something to the angels and the demons through us. We're going to try to wrestle tonight with what in the world would God want to try to display about himself to the angels and the demons through the church. Now, in order to get there, we've got to look at context. Remember, like I told you before, context, context, context. And once you think you understand what you have with the scripture saying through context, then you must check what you have there against the whole of scripture. Because if it doesn't match up with the whole of scripture, you've got a wrong interpretation from the context. But if it matches up in the context and in the whole of Scripture, you can be pretty sure that that's what the Scripture is teaching. So tonight, we're going to take a look, starting in verse 7, and really make our way through this. Now, let me also say this. I am not going to tell you tonight all of God's plan, all of what God's doing through the church, what He's fully trying to reveal, because honestly, who can even fully know that? Who can honestly, what did Paul say in Romans 11, 33 through 36? Oh, the depth of the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who's ever known the mind of God? Who's been his counselor? Because, well, who's ever given to God? He goes on and says that God should repay him for from him and to him and through him are all things to him. Be the glory forever. Amen. And then he goes on and says, our chapter 12 gets in our way there. He goes on and continues. He says, therefore. With all that just said that you're never going to figure God out and it's all about Him, in view of God's mercy, let's offer your bodies as living sacrifices, which is your spiritual act of worship or your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then what? Then you will be able to what? To know what His will is. Did you catch that? Paul goes from saying you're never going to figure God out. But if you're willing to lay your flesh on the altar on a daily basis... He'll show you His will. So, I'm not going to stand here tonight and say, I've got God figured out. But I believe there's some things here, because it was written, these words are written for us. There's something here in verse 10 that I don't want us to miss. There's something here that we can grasp. There's something here that will help us if He will show us His will. So, let's begin to take a look at it. In verse 7, Paul says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. I broke this down. Uh, into sections to help us understand this. I'm going to just give you a whole paragraph real quick first, and then I'll break it down for you. Paul understood that God gave him the responsibility. In other words, he was made a minister. Do you see that? It wasn't something he chose to do. And you all know Paul's story, right? And he decided one day when he was born, after he was born, hey, I'm going to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What was his plan? His plan was to stop the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? But God, who had chosen him before he was born, he came to realize God had a plan for his life. And God made him a minister of preaching the gospel, especially to the Gentiles. And we've already looked at all that. We've already in our study of Ephesians and looking back at Galatians chapter 2. He came to realize even though his heart was to preach to the Jews, his heart was to have that his, as he said in Romans chapter 9, if he could go to hell so his, all the Israel could be saved, he'd do it. His heart was for the Jews, yet God had planned for him to be a minister, an ambassador to the Gentiles. 
And as we just saw in this whole section, and this ties into where we're going, because remember context here, he's been dealing with the fact that even though God has a plan and a role for the nation of Israel, and that he has a plan and a role for the Gentiles, in God's plan they're equal in his eyes, and that he loves them all equally. And we looked last week when we were together at the fact that even though God has roles for men and roles for women, it doesn't mean that they're not equal in the eyes of God. God has a role for the nation of Israel and a role for the Gentiles, but it doesn't mean they're not equal in the eyes of God. And that wall of division that the Jews had been trying to build up for all those years has been blown apart and broken down in Jesus Christ. We're not to take that too far and say that there's no such thing as men and women anymore. There's no such thing as Jew and Gentile. No, no, no. The Bible says he still has roles. And this is very, very important for us to begin to understand as we start looking at Satan and what God's trying to show Satan. And as we look at Satan, and we're going to do a full study as much as we can tonight into who is Satan and wh when was he created, if we can know, and when did he fall, if we can know, and all these things. Because as you're about to see in this passage, Paul is about to move into something that God is doing something right now through the church to reveal who he is to the angels. Not later. Now. Yes, the Bible says for eternity, everything will be centered in Jesus Christ and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But he's not waiting until then. There's something he wants to do in and through us right now for his glory to reveal who he is to the angels and the demons. And all our lives, we thought that we were to just do our good deeds before men, that they may see our father and see our good deeds and glorify our father in heaven. And we thought we were just on this stage. Tonight, my prayer is that God will open your eyes to the fact that you're on a much, much bigger stage. And God's got a reason. And this, what Paul says here in verse 7 is very important, so stick with me. All right, listen to what he says. He says, I'm going to break it down for you. Paul didn't choose his role. That's very important. Keep this in mind. Paul did not choose his role. God chose Paul's role. All right? The role that God had for Paul was also a gift from God. He says, by his grace, that word grace is tied to the word gift. Paul saw the role that God had for him as a gift from God. How many of us are willing to say, see the role or the lot in life that each of us has as a gift from God? Some days better than others. But Paul saw that, that the role that God had for him was a gift from God. He also realized that Paul could not do what God had given him to do in his own strength. Even though God had given him this role, and this role was a gift from God, he came to also realize he couldn't fulfill the role God had in his own strength. And Paul was to do what God had given him to do in God's power. That, I'm going to read it to you one more time. That's what verse 7 is saying, and it's going to be very important as we move on. God, Paul didn't choose his role. God chose Paul's role. The role God had for Paul was a gift from God. Paul could not do what God had given him to do in his own strength, and Paul was to do what God had given him to do in God's power. All right? All that's just there in verse 7. Now listen to verses 8 and 9. In verses 8 and 9, he goes on and says this, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, that's interesting, because don't we elevate Paul as the best, or one of the best? Paul said, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And then he goes into verse 10, what we're going to wrestle with for a while. Here he says this, To me, even though I'm the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now i got to stop there. Uh, John, you're going to appreciate this. Look at what he says. As a preacher, I have been given the responsibility of preaching the unsearchable does anybody know what unsearchable means? You can't, you won't, you won't be able to, to, to find it all out. <laughs> yeah, unfathomable is that from that Disney movie. Listen, we've been given the responsibility to preach something that you can't fully know. It's beyond fathom. It's unsearchable, the riches of Christ. One day, one day we're going to see as, and be known as we are known. Right now we see through a glass darkly. So one day face to face. But I, don't, I think the Bible kind of hints that even in heaven, there'll be this continual learning of who he really is. And we as preachers have been given the responsibility to preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. Wow. My first reaction is, who's able to do that? And then all of a sudden I thought, hey, that reminds me of Scripture. 
Go with me real quick to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It's definitely a, a, a huge part of faith. But go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, because you know what? You could sit there and say, yeah, wow, yeah, you and John, you get this responsibility to go preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Ah, stick with me, because I'm going to show you in this passage that not only we preachers, but every one of us who have Christ in us. Listen to what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verses 14 through 17. He says, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we're not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Listen to what Paul's saying here. Now, I don't have time to get into this because how much other stuff I want to get into. But he's using a picture of a Roman procession. When the Romans would go and conquer a nation or whatever, they would have this huge parade. And this parade would be marched through the streets to celebrate their victories. And they'd show, they'd have dioramas, if you will, of things that they had conquered and property that they had sieged. And, but on top of that, they would also have a lot of the prisoners all in that parade bound and they would have this incense being waved. And as they paraded in triumphal procession because of their victory through the streets, celebrating their victory, to the people that were the prisoners, that smell smelled like death, that incense, didn't it? Because they knew they were being taken to be put to death. They're just being paraded, and then they're going to be put to death. But to the others, it smelled like victory. And Paul is an interesting picture here, and he says... We have the aroma, of, we're the aroma of Christ to God. And to some people, we stink. Some people, we smell like death. They don't like us. To others, we smell like life. And who is equal to such a task? Who are you who are capable of going and being the aroma of Christ out in this world? None of us. Not on our own. Guess what? Not only have me and John been given the responsibility to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, and who's equal to such a task, all of us who have Christ within us, if we are, and you're going to see where we're headed in a second, if we're willing to let Christ live through us, we are going to be ambassadors of Him as well. That doesn't mean your role is to stand up here and to teach and to preach His Word, but I want you to understand, please hear this, and you've heard this from me over and over, there is a role God has for you. And even in that role, he wants to use you for his purposes. And that's where we've had the problem of too long having the preacher come and tell us what the role's supposed to be. And I'm not going to tell you what your role is because God's chosen your role, just like he chose Paul's role. And for too long, we've had the evangelist come in and say, you all out, need to be out knocking on doors. Well, it's the role might have God might have given him, but he's just telling everybody else, you're supposed to be doing that too. Or, you know, just like Martha, Lord, tell my sister to help me. Some of us are so overburdened, we just figure someone else should be doing this too. And we just start, well, we make a nominating committee to do that, don't we? Make the phone calls and get people to sign up on the groups and we just get everybody plugged in. Folks, God has a plan for each of us. He's got a role for each of us. And he wants to use you to demonstrate who, who he is through Christ, not only to the angels, which we're going to get to in a little bit, but also to this world. And you're not equal to it. Neither am I. But if we begin to understand what Paul's about to head into, this will really make a whole lot of sense. And Paul makes an interesting statement. He said, I'm not someone special or more important than anybody else because of this role. Actually, he realized in true humility that his even being used to preach this message he tried to stop was totally by God's grace and mercy. I mean, he had been putting people to death because of this gospel that he was preaching. And now God had chosen to make him a leader in the church. <laughs> Let's be honest. If there was somebody that was out there killing our family members because of their faith in Christ. And then they came into faith in Christ. Would we let them lead in the church? It'd be tough, wouldn't it? How many of you remember the story about the missionaries that went to work with the Aka Indians? And you remember they went and they were killed. You remember, you remember that? Years ago, by God's awesome orchestration, my family and I, we were at First Orlando. I don't even remember why we were going through there, but we ended up going to church at First Orlando one Sunday. And we were there 
when one of the men who killed Steve Saint's dad was there with Steve Saint. And Steve Saint, the son of one of the missionaries who was killed, he actually had the privilege of baptizing the man who killed his father in that same river where his father was killed. And I sat there and I thought, wow. Here he was standing there with this man who killed his dad and they, they actually had adopted him into their family. Steve Saint's kids, the grandkids of the guy that was killed called this guy grandfather and God had done an amazing work. Wow. Paul says, I understand that I'm not worthy of this role that God has given me. I'm least of all the saints, but God's chosen me for this. He didn't think he was special. He also knew that in preaching the gospel, there was something else going on. He was going to be used of God to unveil something that had been hidden. Do you see that? Go back to Ephesians. Look at what he says. Look at verse, uh, verse 9. And to bring, after not only preached to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone, Jew and Gentile, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Now, we saw last week that part of that mystery that had not been revealed was not that the Gentiles would be saved. All along the scripture had said that God loved the Gentiles and His desire was that the Gentiles would be saved. But the mystery was that the Jew and Gentile would be equal in the eyes of God. And that was beginning to be revealed. And even the prophets didn't fully understand it. But now it's God's plan had been revealed. But there's a deeper part of the plan which we're going to look at tonight. And that's where we go into verse 10. He says, his plan is this. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known... Not to the world, but to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. How was God revealing this mystery and this plan that he wants to reveal to the angels and the demons? How was he planning on doing it? Through the church. God wants to reveal something of himself to the angels and the demons through us. How many feels equal to such a task? I mean, how many of you right now, if God were to come and put an angel right here in our midst, and he's able to do that, by the way. The Bible even says they're here, we just don't see them. How many of you, if the angel were to come and God were to say, okay, here's an angel, why don't you go ahead and tell him about what it is that I want to teach him through you? How many of us would say, oh, I know, I know. To be honest with you, I would have a hard time myself. But as I began to really dig into this, God started to unlock something. Please hear what I'm about to say. What I'm about to show you is not all that God's trying to reveal to them, because I don't know it. But I think God has begun to show me from the context here and from other parts of Scripture, as we put it all together, something that He's been trying to show the angel, the demons through us about Himself. And I want you to see it. So my prayer is that God begin to take us where He wants us to go. All right? I want to remind you of what we've already seen earlier. All right, go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Where are these spiritual authorities according to Ephesians 3.10? Where are they? In the heavenly places. Okay, keep that in mind. Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Where? All right, these spiritual blessings that we've received in Christ are tied to what's going on in the heavenly places. All right, that's important. Not just in life, but in the life to come. And somehow, some way, we're connected already. Ephesians chapter 1, look at verses 7 through 10. And keep, keep in mind what we're looking at now. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Again, Everything that's going on right now, not just what he's doing now to show the, the, the angels and the demons, but what's going to be for all eternity is for God's eternal plan to center everything in Jesus and to manifest God's wisdom and his insight. And he's revealing it now to us. And as we saw, that's what he said there. But then we get to chapter three. Paul says not only that, he's trying to now not only reveal it to us, he's trying to work through us to what he's trying to reveal to us to show the angels and the demons. Is God able to do it without you? Yes. 
but he's chosen to use us. Aren't you a little bit curious now what that is? Aren't you just a little bit curious? What is it he's trying to show the angels and demons through me? Well, stay awake. All right, go to Ephesians 1. Look at verses 15 through 23. Again, keep in mind what Paul's heading towards. Keep in mind what Paul's trying to reveal here. Because he's already just said to us in our passage from today that now he's also supposed to be used of God to reveal this mystery, this plan. For this reason, Paul says, verse 15 of chapter 1, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as a head over all things to who? To the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, I don't know if you caught this or not, but Paul's given us a glimpse now as we start heading into what he wants us to see. My prayer, Paul says, and I'm not praying just for the preachers. My prayer is for all of you that the eyes of your hearts would be opened. That you'd receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation in your knowledge of him. And that you would come to understand well, how does he put it here? He says, I want you to understand the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the measurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? That's important. Keep that in mind for later on when I start to show you what God's trying to do in your life right now through you and through the church to reveal who he is to the angels. Keep that in mind. These three things. He wants us to understand the hope to which he's called us the riches of the glorious inheritance that we have in the saints as being saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. And then he says, this same power was revealed as He rose Jesus from the dead and seated Him in the heavenly place. And now, not only in this age, but in the life to come, but God has given us Jesus as the head over His church, which is His, according to this now, His body. This is very important. You're going to see that's all tied in. In a little bit, you're going to see it all start to come together. That this, the, the church is His body. And he's put us together in a body. And I'm start letting you help you out a little bit here to help you understand. What has Paul been dealing with? There's been a division between Jew and Gentile. The Jews thought they were better in the eyes of God than the Gentiles. And, and maybe God might save a Gentile, but they can sit in the back. Or in that section of the temple. No, no. God is not getting rid of his role for the Jews. He's got a plan for the Gentiles. But he's putting you together now, and you're equal in the eyes of God, and you always have been, and he loves you equally. You still have your roles. And he's put you together now in a body. Do you all have the same role in this body? Do some people have more, in the eyes of man, important roles than other people? Does that mean those people are more important to God than the people whose roles are less? Remember the parable of the talents. He gave one five. He gave another two. He gave another one. Exactly. God's attitude toward the one who did what he was supposed to do with the five is the same as what the one who did what he did with the two. Well done. Good for you. Awesome. But I only brought in four. He brought in ten. That doesn't mean anything. So that's very important to where we're going. God has a role for you. And you didn't choose it. You don't choose it. You can't choose it. On top of that, that role that he has for you is a gift of his grace. Oh, you can't go do it in your own strength. You have to do it in his power. Are you with me so far? Because yes. we're about to now take a look at Satan. And we're about to take a look at what his attitude was. And you're going to see a, a big difference. And he's trying to reveal something about who he is through us right now. If we're willing to not have the attitude of Satan, but to have the attitude of Christ, which was also revealed in Paul. All right. 
let's take a look now at who, who it is that God's trying to reveal himself to. Now, go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 12. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 12. And those of you that have learned my uh, way to find books in the Bible, if you can't find 1 Peter 1, where they're, how are they to find it? Go to 1 Peter 2 and back up. You're right, exactly. It's real simple. Go to 1 Peter 2 and then back up. But 1 Peter 1, verses 10 and 12. 10, 11, and 12. Look at what it says here. It says, concerning this salvation... Now, i got to stop. Let me remind you of what I've already taught you. When you see the word salvation in the Bible, we hear justification, the moment we prayed and got saved. What does God see when he sees the word salvation in the Bible? The, the whole thing. Justification, sanctification, glorification. In God's eyes, it's all the same. Sanctification is a part of salvation. Your glorification one day is a part of your salvation. The day you trusted Christ as your Savior is a part of your salvation. Don't fall into that trap of thinking, oh, I'm saved. I, I already prayed that prayer. No, no, no. When he talks about this salvation, he's talking about the whole deal. Even these years between when we trusted Him and when we finally go get to see Him face to face. That's still a part of our salvation. That's why it's important to God. Concerning this salvation, the whole thing, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which, what? Angels long to look. Isn't that interesting? Now, if you think back to when Daniel was getting some of these visions and these prophecies of the end times and the times to come, and he was like, well, when's this going to happen? How's this going to be? And what was he told? Just seal up the words of the prophecy. This isn't during your lifetime. You're going to go to sleep with your fathers. This isn't going to happen until the time of the end. And he was getting pictures of what Jesus was going to do and then the, the rock that's going to come and conquer all the kingdoms and there, the prophets came to realize that there's something awesome about to come down the path here and the Spirit in me is showing me, but the Spirit also said, it's not for your lifetime, it's for other, another time period. You just share what it is I've showed you. It's not for your lifetime, it's for another time period. We're in that time period now. But on top of that, Peter says, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but this awesome salvation that we already have, that Paul is praying that the eyes of your hearts will be open to really understand what's really going on, not just saying, oh, thank God I'm going to heaven. That there's something way bigger than this. The angels long to look into what you have. The angels are watching. And the angels are curious. The angels are learning about who God is through what he's doing in you. How many of you feel equal to such a task? <laughs> Me neither. Oh, but that's the good news. We don't, we don't do what God's got for us to do in our own strength. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. If we look closely at the scriptures, we will see that there, a battle has been raging in the heavenly places since the beginning of creation almost. Ephesians chapter 6, listen to verses 10, 11, and 12. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And this is interesting. Paul has already said to us in Ephesians that his intent was through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the spiritual authorities in the heavenly places. And now here in chapter 6, he says, oh, and by the way, not only is God wanting to reveal something through you to the angels and the demons, you're at war. And you don't realize it. But the spiritual forces of evil, because they're spiritual forces of good, and the spiritual forces of evil, though, they're out to get you. This is very important. Not only the angels, the, the spiritual forces of good, wanting to know about this relationship that we've been given with God, but also at the exact same time, the spiritual forces of evil hate you because of what you've been given through Jesus Christ. 
And most Christians walk around oblivious to what's really going on. And, and I'll get right to you, Susan. Let me also say this. I'm not here to scare you or anything. Let me just encourage you with this. <laughs> Thank God Satan can do nothing to you if you're a child of God unless God gives him permission. He does not have freedom to do. Satan, devil's after me. Uh, don't give him more credit than he has. Amen. Satan can only do to you what God lets him. And I don't know how many of us, I don't think I even fully understand how many times we've been protected by the hand of God. Satan's wanting to just wipe us all out if he could, but he can't unless God gives him even permission to do anything. And then God sets the parameters. And we've looked at that before. But just keep in mind, there is something going on in the realm that we can't see right now. And if there was ever a generation that really would understand the fact that there is a realm and a world that we don't see, we have the most advantage. Because right now, you can pick up your cell phone and you can just talk to somebody on the other side of the globe. You remember back when we used to watch Star Trek and they would go, burp, burp, you know, and they just talk to the ship and we'd think, yeah, one day, right. Do you realize? How in the world am I able to use this thing, talk on it, and someone on the other side of the globe almost instantly can hear me? How? How does that happen? Can anybody explain that to me? Yeah, Magic. Magic. <laughs> Witchcraft. Actually, there's probably one or two people in the room that could explain it. But just because you understand it doesn't mean we, you could explain it to us. Let's be honest. There is something going on right now in this whole room with radio waves and frequencies and transmitters and all this stuff. It's, it's there. I don't see it. I love how Vance Havner put it. He said, I don't understand about electricity, but I'm not going to sit around in the dark until I do. <laughs> You're going to say something. This is after that. That's a really good question. I've often wrestled with, okay, when did Paul? Because I wanted to see if his writing changed after he had that experience. We saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that he knows a man, whether in the body or out of the body, was taken into the third heaven, and he's not allowed to talk about the things he saw, but I just want to let you know that, you know, well, I then one time started doing a little research to find out, well, when did that happen chronologically in Paul's life after salvation? And when did he write these books and these letters? Was there a change in his writing prior to he had the, having that experience and after? And guess what I found out? That experience happened before anything he wrote. All the stuff we have written by Paul, his experience where he was taken into paradise happened before he wrote any of those books. So this is after. Good question, though. All right. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 28. Y'all do know that Satan exists, right? I don't have to take any time to kind of prove to you that Satan exists. Ezekiel 28, though, this look at the very interesting description of Satan here. Ezekiel 28, verses 11 through 19. 11 through 19. Now, you're going to see it's a lament over the king of Tyre. And as this prophecy is being written to the king of Tyre, if you're paying close attention, you'll come to realize, wait a minute, that can't be the king of Tyre that he's talking to. He starts talking to the king of Tyre. And as God's speaking through the prophet Ezekiel to the king of Tyre, it's obvious all of a sudden he's talking to somebody else that's listening at the same time. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raise a lament lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection. That sound like a human? Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Becky hadn't been born yet, so that can't be. Couldn't. I just got a point. I just got a point. All right. You were, but look at what he says next. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Is that possible that he's talking about the king of Tyre? No. You're in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst. 
and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities in the unrighteousness of your trades, you profaned your sanctuary. So I brought fire out from your midst and it consumed you. And I turned you to ashes on the earth in sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Now, let me just tell you, there's obvious here, there's, there's a couple people he's talking to. And folks, I want you to understand that evil exists in this world because of Satan. And when evil is done, not only are the humans guilty for doing it, but so is the one who's empowering them. And throughout Scripture, you'll see this in other prophecies. We don't have time to turn there, but you go to Isaiah chapter 14. If you were to look at Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14, you'll see another place where he's talking to the king of Babylon. But it's obvious he's not talking to the king of Babylon. He's talking about the one who empowers the king of Babylon. And if you were to study the book of Job, you will realize that this whole relationship, this whole thing that's going on in Job's life, really doesn't have as much to do with Job as it does between God and Satan. This battle that's going on between the two of them and how God and Satan are talking and they're using Job as a pawn. Are they not? They're using, I'm going to say it again, they're using Job as a pawn. The real issue isn't about Job. We want to look at Job. <laughs> it ain't about Job. This is about God and his glory and his enemy. The one who was created perfect in beauty, the one who was actually in his presence, who was created as a guardian angel, a cherub who was in the garden of God. He was there on the holy mountain until his pride got too much for him. And if you go to Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 14, Satan said, I want to be like God. And then what God said, cast him down. Now, he's still able to go back and forth in the earth and heaven because he still accuses the brethren. He's the accuser of the brethren. And we don't have time tonight to actually get into the passage in Revelation that talks about what's going to be happening to him in the time to come and how he's going to know that his time is short and he's going to come and dwell the Antichrist and all those things that are going on. Just keep this in mind. Satan, one of the spiritual authorities in the heavenly places, who's the leader of those who are evil because the scripture shows us in Revelation that when he rebelled, a third of the angels went with him. Some of them are in places of torment and chains right now, the Bible says in the book of Jude, until the time. There are, they've been in holding from that moment until later on. But others are allowed for a time, we know them as demons, to do things in the lives of people in the world under God's control and by God's purposes Here's where I want to just talk about something here real quick that I don't know fully when Satan rebelled. And I don't know fully when Satan was created. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure anybody can fully know. There will be people that will write articles on the, on, the, on the web and stand there with scripture to reference their, back their position and all this stuff. There's a chance that the angels were created before anything we saw in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Because we know from the book of Job, chapter 38, when God comes and speaks to Job, he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth and all the morning stars sang for joy? So the angels obviously existed prior to the foundations of the earth being made. Now, some people will say, well, that means that Satan was created or the angels were created in, uh, between day one and day two or day three of, of, of creation. And the foundations of the earth weren't laid until like day three or day four. And uh, because they go with God saw all that he had made and it was good. And they say, well, Satan couldn't have had his rebellion yet because all that he had made wouldn't be good if Satan had already rebelled. But I don't know if Genesis 1 is talking about everything that God made or the visible realm of what God made. Because Colossians 1 says Jesus made everything, visible and the invisible. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, the scripture says that God not only made the heavens, he made the heavens of the heavens. Were the heavens of the heavens created before the heavens that we can see? We don't know. 
Like I say, there are those on, you can go online and they've got it all. He, it happened between this day and that day. Well, I had a problem with that. Yes, here the scripture says he was in the Eden of God. Now, it doesn't mean, though, that he was perfect when he was in the Eden of God. He could have been. That passage we just read could be referring to the fact that he, when he was in the Eden of God, he was perfect. If that's the case, he didn't fall until after chapter 2. But in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the scripture says that Satan has been sinning since the beginning. Of what? Because we just read that he wasn't sinning from the beginning of his creation because he was perfect. So is there a chance that Satan's fall happened before anything in Genesis chapter 1? I say to you, possibly. I don't know. There'll be those who say, no, 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 it has to be. Let me just tell you, there's a lot of stuff like that we don't know. But I throw this out to you for this reason. When he was created and when he fell isn't really the issue. But it's obvious that God's plan was to reveal something about himself to the angels, the good ones and the bad, through what he's made in this world. There's a chance that everything you see, smell, hear, taste, and touch was created by God after the rebellion of Satan for his purposes of revealing something to Satan and his followers for all time. I don't know. But there's something, though, because Satan's way of getting back at God is to do what? To go after us, to go after his prized creation, those of us who were made humans in the image of God. Did his rebellion happen sometime between chapter 2 and chapter 3? Maybe. Could it have happened before? Possibly. But know this. What's going on between God and the spiritual forces of evil and good in the heavenly places God's using us right now for his purposes and revealing something about himself to them. Whether that was his plan before he made the first bush, well, even though it might not have happened, the rebellion might not have happened until later on, I can guarantee you God knew before he even made the first bush that that was all going to happen because the Bible says Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world. He knew this was all going to happen. So don't get all caught up in when Satan was created and when Satan fell. Just know this. Right now, whether it was before he made the world, God had this plan, or Satan rebellion happened after he made the world, God, this is not plan B. God's intent all along was that Jesus would come and he would, listen closely, fulfill the role that the Father had for him. And he, his role was to come and to live as a human being, 100% man, 100% God, and to live a sinless life, tempted in every way in which we are, yet without sin. And then his role was to be the servant who took the punishment of all a man's sin. And God did something in putting him to death and then raising him into bed by his own power. And he's now seated him in the heavenly places. He's always been in the heavenly places, but he seated him now with all rule and authority over everything. But not only that, he's given him now as the head over a group of people, Jew and Gentile. And he's put us together in a what? A body. In a marriage. In a marriage. To display something that Satan didn't understand. Let me tell you this much. Listen to what God said about Satan in Ezekiel 28. You were created perfect in beauty. I gave you a position right in my presence. Oh, there's, by the way, you do a study on angels. There's all different levels of angels and different roles. There's guardian angels. There's archangels and all that kind of stuff. By the way, um, and I think Tony Kessinger is right in this. That word in Isaiah 14, verses 12 and following, that's translated morning star, or some translations Lucifer, actually in the Hebrew is this, halal. There's a strong chance, instead of trying to translate what does it mean, it could have been his name. What are, what are the angels that we know named? What are their names? Michael. Listen again. Michael. Remember, L is of God. Gabriel. Gabriel. Halel. 
could have just simply been his name. And we're trying to translate. Does that mean Lucifer? Does that mean son of the dawn? We don't. It could just simply be his name. Satan's name could have been Halel. There's Michael, Gabriel, Halel. He had been given an incredible role, had he not? Had he not given his, been given by God an amazing role? Yet he said, I am not satisfied with the grace of God. God is not good. I don't want the role God has for me. I want to be God. How did Job put it? Even if he slays me, yet will I trust him. Folks, let me tell you what's going on right now in your flesh. Even after you've been saved, your flesh is still alive, is it not? And don't we have to daily lay it on the altar again as our act of worship? And aren't there times that we say, man, my life stinks. Man, I wish I had a different lot in life. Boy, I wish I had that person's wife. I wish I had that person's husband. I wish I had that person's job. I wish I had that person's health. I wish my spouse hadn't died of cancer. I wish, and we have to wrestle with whether or not, well, the Bible says everything we have comes from God, correct? Whether or not God is good. And Paul says, even though I'm the least of the saints, he's given me a role. And my role in the church is to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Oh, and this is a gift of God to me. And where was he writing from? Where was he writing from in Ephesians? Prison. He says, don't, don't worry about the things that I'm suffering for you and your, and your glory. As a part of my role, that's what's going to happen. But it's God's plan, and I'm okay with that. Oh, that doesn't sound like Satan's attitude, does it? And then he puts us in a body. And some of you have more noticeable. Well, let's go there. Let's take a look at it. Go to uh, um, 2 Corinthians chapter... Uh, first, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For the sake of time, I just preached through about seven pages of notes. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Listen to verses 4 through 26 and tell me if it doesn't tie into everything we've been looking at tonight. It says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the, same, by the one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues and those are known languages, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Are you happy with the role you've been given in the body? You better be, because if you're not, you have the attitude of Satan. And God is wanting to actually show through us a group of people who are willing with the lot that God has given us, whether I'm a five or two or one, don't even worry about it. This is the life God has for me, and it's a gift of God, and I trust Him, and everything He does is good. Do I understand it? No. Do my, does my flesh want to rebel, rebel against it? Of course, but I'm laying that on the altar. You know why? Because I don't want to say God's not good. He's already proven it through Jesus Christ, and he's good. And we're not going to try to jockey for position in the church. Oh, I preached in a lot of churches where they do. Trust me, in my travels and going to many different kinds of churches, there are some churches where the deacons have to sit in a certain spot. It's not because the church is telling them to sit there. They, that's their spot. The deaconesses, they sit and they all dress in white in the nether section of the church. And everybody wants to be the one who speaks. And everybody who, I want to sing the solo in the choir special. And we're all jockeying for position. 
What's wrong with us just saying, you know what, let's just love each other and just do what it is God has for us to do. And let's just enjoy that because everything God has for me is good. His yoke is easy and his burden is light if I'm wearing his yoke and not the nominating committees or the pastor search committees. He goes on and he says, for just, verse 12, just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of the one spirit. For the body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would make, not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, listen closely, how does your word scripture say it next? As he chose. Does that sound a little bit like Ephesians chapter 3 verse 7? God chose me to be in this role of preacher to the Gentiles. If all were a single member, where, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with the greater modesty, which our more, pre which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And we can just stop there. You get the picture of what's being said here, right? God, for His purposes, has put us together, Jew and Gentile, into a thing called the church. And He's given us all different roles. And His desire is that we would just do the role that God's given us in His power, by His grace, understanding that it's a gift from God, and we wouldn't try to wish we had somebody else's, and we would just be happy, and in doing so, we would be able to demonstrate an attitude that Satan and the demons couldn't demonstrate. Now, how many of you can do that on your own strength? Me neither. Oh, but when you do, when you do, the Bible says that God is keeping track and he's keeping a tally to be able to reward you in the life to come for eternity. Now, yes, sometimes in this life he'll bless you for your obedience and your proper attitude. But at the same time, one day when all this time period comes to an end, and we already saw scripturally we're at the end of the end. We're all going to face the Bema judgment seat of Christ, those of us who are Christians. We're going to face the judgment seat of Christ, and He's going to reward us for what we've done in the body after salvation, whether good or worthless. Oh, but if you have let Him, through you saying no to your flesh. Well, how does the Scripture say? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, even though He was God. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but He took on the role of a what? A servant. Oh, you want to talk about the one who has shamed Satan the most? It's God himself. God himself. Who said, you're not happy with your role? You don't know who I am. You think I'm not good. That what you could have something more. Isn't that sad how much of our preaching today is tied to that kind of a mindset? Your best life now? The health and wealth gospel that's out there? Sounds a lot more like the response of Satan than it does the response of Jesus. Folks, I want to look you in the eye and tell you something you might not want to hear. I believe you and I are pawns. I think there is a battle going on, according to Scripture, in the spiritual realm, and it's between God and His enemies and His creation, the angels, and it's been going on for a long time, and when it started, I don't know, and I don't care, because God knew it all along, and He's using us for His purposes. But listen to this. 
The only way Satan can get at God is to do what? To go after us. He can't go after God. There's no frontal assault. He can't win that. He would have tried it. So he goes after us. What had happened to Jesus as he was on the earth and he says, Hey guys, um, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. And Peter quickly says, Oh no, I won't let that happen. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Why? He knew who was really talking. Yes, he was talking to Peter, but he was talking to the one who was empowering Peter. Yes, the prophecy was to the king of Tyre, but he was really talking to the one empowering the king of Tyre. Yes, he was talking to the king of Babylon, but he was really talking to the one who was empowering the king of Babylon. Oh, and by the way, when you go and look at the book of Job, please don't listen to your commentary books that say that the Leviathan was a crocodile. It was a fire-breathing dragon. You go and do a study of its tail and its size and the fire that comes from its mouth. There was a fire-breathing dragon on the earth that man could not touch. God had made an animal that represented Satan. And oh, by the way, the only one that defeated the fire-breathing dragon, oh, all throughout the Scripture, the Bible describes him as what? That ancient serpent, the dragon. When God is speaking to Job and he says, can you even touch Leviathan? The answer is obviously no. He's really talking to Satan. Yes, he's talking to Job, but he also knows who's listening right now. You want to you want to double check me? You go and look at the description in chapter 40 of, of Job of the Leviathan. As he finishes describing him, you'll see this fire breathing dragon. And then he's described in this way. He is the father of all who are proud. How could this dragon be a father of all who are proud? Oh, it was representing something else. Folks, all along there has been this battle going on and you and I are in the middle of it right now. And Satan is asking for permission to mess with us and sometimes God says yes and he sets the parameters but he's doing it for his purposes and for his glory and if you're willing to say, even though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I don't understand why this happened. I don't like it. But you know what? That doesn't mean that God's not good and I'm going to keep trusting him. I wish he would take this pain away but he hasn't. I'm going to trust him because he's good. And God's plan is that he would reveal a little bit of who he is through us to those people, well, beings that are watching. And you can go look at it later on. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The Bible says when it's all said and done, even though we've been created a little lower than the angels, one day we are going to rule and judge the angels. At first, I've never understood that. How am I to make judgments over angels? <laughs> they got more power than I ever could. But what are we going to be making judgments about? We're going to be ju making judgments probably about their attitude, correct? <laughs> and if we're willing to let him live his life through us as we surrender ourselves and say, yes, Lord, I trust you. I'll just do what you ask me to do. I trust I'm going to leave the results to you, and I'm just going to do what it is, and I'm just going to trust the results, and I'm just going to, I'm going to rest in you. We then will be able to look these angels in the eye and say, by his grace, I was able to do it. For all those years, I lived on the earth with not the power you had, not the knowledge that you had. I was in a frail, weak little body. And he put me through a lot of stuff for his purposes, but I learned to just trust him. Are you ready to let God Demonstrate who he is through you to the angels and the demons. Yes, we're on a stage that's good deeds before men, but you know what? We can fool people. We got a whole world full of Christians who say everything's fine and God's good all the time, yet they worry and they fret. The angels know when you aren't really meaning what you say. We've got a whole world full of Christians in our churches today that pretend to be spiritual and holy, yet they're addicted to pornography and alcohol and all this other stuff. We can fool man. I want you to realize there are more people watching than just the people you're fooling. And when it's all said and done, has God been able to work through you a demonstration of who he is? My prayer is, that we'll begin to let that happen more and more. Let me pray for us. Father, again, I thank you for this chance to come and 
wow, did we cover a lot of stuff. But Lord, the only way this is going to sink into our hearts is by your spirit and the truth of your word. Lord, forgive us for getting caught up in all these years of over trying to argue over minutia points of when this happened or may. Lord, we don't know some things, but the things that have been revealed, we can know. And your scripture teaches us and your spirit is leading us to just, well, by your love, all men will know that you're my disciples. By your love one for another. Father, we have jockeyed for position. We've been envious of each other. We've had dissension and factions and strife. Father, may it not happen with us. I know that there's a group of folks here in this room or from all these different churches. May we go back into our churches and as far as it lies within us, may we live at peace with everyone. Because our attitude is, I'm just doing the role that God has for me. And I didn't choose it. He chose it for me. And it's a gift of His. And I'm not going to do it in my strength. I'm going to do it in His. And I'll just leave the rest to Him. And Father, may we not seek to become most important May we be willing, because we trust you and we know that you're good. Well, because of the hope to which you've called us, because of the glorious inheritance that we have as your saints, and because of the power for us who believe, may we not look to man to meet our needs anymore. May we look to you. May we be happy because we know you got us. We look forward to the day when you get to show us off, not only now, but for eternity as to who you are. May it continue a little bit more tonight and the next day and so on as we learn to daily say no to our flesh and yes to Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.